Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard the voice of my supplication, because he has inclined his ear to me whenever I call upon him. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray you, save my life. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord watches over the innocent. I was brought very low, and he helped me. Turn again to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has treated you well. For you have rescued my life from death my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. I will walk in the presence of the Lord, in the land of the living. I believed, even when I said, I have been brought very low. In my distress, I said, no one can be trusted. How shall I repay the Lord for all the good things he has done for me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his servants. Together, glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for an opportunity to now listen to your word. And you say that your word never returns to you void. And you know each person in this room... And I pray now by your spirit working through your word that it would do a work in each person's soul, mind, and body and not return to you void. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before I headed off to seminary, I was a high school basketball coach in the Philadelphia Public League. Anybody here from Philadelphia or close by? Um, I coached at a high school called University City. We were the Jaguars, and we were right between West Philly High and Overbrook. West Philly High is known because Will Smith went there and Boys to Men. Overbrook's known because Wilt Chamberlain went there. Nobody famous went to University City that I know of. Um, But I was an assistant basketball coach there for a few years, and I learned a lot of lessons during this time. It was a really, really fun season of life. And one of the most important lessons I learned came from a young man named Fred. Fred was a sophomore during my second year of coaching, and Fred had never played organized basketball, but he was a playground legend. So all his friends told me, you've got to come see Fred play and get him to come out for the team. And we were already well into tryouts. It was late in the game, but they said, you've got to see Fred play. So I went to see Fred play, and his His raw ability was obvious. He had lightning speed. He was a great ball handler. He could shoot. He had a sturdy build. He was just an absolutely natural athlete. He had all the raw ability you could want. It seemed like a no-brainer to put him on the team, so we did. And then we got Fred into his first organized game, and it was a disaster. He had no ability to play under pressure or to play with that type of organization or to play in congruence with the team. 
And here's the lesson I learned from that. True substance, true ability, and true reliability is only revealed in experience. In other words, you can't really know a person's ability outside of watching them go through an experience. I couldn't know whether or not Fred would be a good team player until I experienced Fred playing on a team. There was just no way to know. And this is actually a very universal truth. Um, You may feel this if you're an employer and you want to hire someone recently out of college. Their resume may be filled with great grades and great things they've done. But if they have no experience in the real working world, you just don't know how they'll fare. It's somewhat of a risk. You'll have to find out how this person will actually perform under pressure. True substance, true reliability is only revealed in experience. And this is true not just when we evaluate others, like an employee or a basketball player. It's true when we evaluate ourselves. And so we, we all want to be people of substance, people of depth, not people who are shallow. We want to be people who are loving, who are kind, who are steadfast. We want to be steadfast parents, loving spouses, caring friends. We want to be sturdy people. But the problem is, without experience, we don't really know if we are. And so I wonder if you've ever noticed another person going through a circumstance and you've said, I wonder how my own character would bear up under that trial. Or I wonder how I would do faced with that temptation. And this is very true of our faith. Often, if we look into the future and imagine different circumstances befalling us, we might say, I wonder if my faith would hold up there. In other words, I wonder if the real substance and reliability of my faith would be what I think it is given that experience? It's such an important question. We want to be people of substance and reliability who can say to ourselves and our loved ones, you can count on me. My faith is very, very wide. It's not just surface level talk. But the only way you know this, really know it, is by being put in the game. It's by experience. And so when we come to the 116th Psalm, we run into a man who is very sturdy. He's very reliable. The context of this psalm would have been a man standing up in front of the gathered congregation in Israel... And he's giving thanks to the Lord for what the Lord has done in his life. And he says things like, he opens his psalm with, I love the Lord. I will serve the Lord all my days. I will pay my vows to the Lord. I will walk before the Lord. He is displaying his faith before all the people. And no one, no one who hears the rest of his psalm questions the man's substance or reliability. No one questions it. And the reason is because this man's sturdy faith is issuing out of an experience. In other words, it's tried and tested and it's refined 
So people can look at this man and know he is battle tested. They're saying he's been in a game. We know what's really there. And so what I thought would be helpful to do this morning is to simply trace his path into becoming a person of what I would call sturdy and reliable faith. How did he get there? What did it take to go from an unknown commodity to a known commodity? To know, to be able to say with assurance, this man really is sturdy. What path did he have to traverse? So we're going to trace his path and see if we can draw a few lessons from it that are applicable to our own lives. Okay, so the first part of this man's pathway to becoming a man of sturdy faith was what I would call a necessary trial. This psalm is filled with very vivid language about some type of trial, not that he's in, but that he was formerly in. And I think one of the most powerful verses is verse 3, when the psalmist says, The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. He is letting the congregation know, look, I've been through something acutely bad. I wouldn't wish it upon any of you. And the only way I can describe it is with an image as though cords or hands would come up out of hell and grab onto me and start pulling me down to the point where I despaired and lost all hope. I've been through this. I've been through something that I have to describe this way. Now, he doesn't tell us what it specifically was, but there's two things I want you to notice. Number one is that it was severe, and it involves something physically, emotionally, and mentally. The whole person is involved. Physically, he's close to death, but emotionally and mentally, he's lost his equilibrium. He's being pulled down out of the land of the living. And he doesn't need us to know exactly what happened. He just needs us to know what it felt like. So he creates a space that you can fit your own experience into. If you've ever been through something in life, you might describe with words like affliction and suffering. And I felt like death itself was wrapping its arms around me. So that's the first thing. It's severe. And the second important thing to notice, and this is actually, I think, the more painful, is that in verse 11, he makes this striking statement. He says, I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. It's one thing to suffer with a group of people around you who are for you, who are supporting you and cheering you on. This man not only suffered, he lost his community. Something happened that made him feel either betrayed or not understood or that he couldn't rely on people. So all he could say is all mankind are liars. Maybe you've said that at a point like this. I can't trust anybody. Nobody, nobody really understands this. Or when it comes down to it, humans just don't have answers. I've heard it all. What could you possibly tell me to make sense of this situation? All mankind are liars. 
every one of them. So we have a man going through very real internal pain who is totally isolated. So he's in a bad place. He's in a very, very bad place. Now, I want to put in front of this trial he's in the word necessary, which seems a bit extravagant to say that a trial like this would be necessary. But I think when we look at the man's life, we realize that this trial forms the context where the rest of the psalm takes place. And in the rest of the psalm, we're going to see things develop and things being refined in the man. And we're going to see him encountering God in a way that's utterly unique. And this context becomes necessary for that to happen. And you probably know if you've observed people or observed yourself that it's the trials, it's the suffering in life that becomes the necessary moments when you really grow up when you really find out who you are, when you're tested, like my basketball player, Fred, it wasn't until he got in the game that he realized he's not who he thought he was. Um, On the very last page of the book, Great Expectations, by Charles Dickens, it's one of my favorite books. Maybe you read it back in high school. If you're in high school now, maybe you're reading it this summer. Um, It's really a story about Pip, a young man who comes into great expectations, and also a woman he falls for as a young man named Estella. And they're separated. They never really make things work when they're young. And they both go through a lot of trials. And at the very end of the book, the very last scene, they come back together fortuitously at the very same site where they had met. And they're sitting on a bench as the moon's coming up and the mist is coming up. And Estella looks at Pip, and this is what she says. Suffering has been stronger than all other teaching and has taught me to understand what your heart used to be. I have been bent and broken, but I hope into a better shape. And that's really what's going on in the scene is Estella is a different person. But because of what she's been through, the trials have been necessary for forming her Um, Writing about a hundred years before Charles Dickens, the theologian Jonathan Edwards said the following, Trials, above all other things, have a tendency to distinguish true religion and false, and to cause the difference between them evidently to appear. Hence they are called by the name trials. They try the faith of the religious professors, those who profess religion, of what sort it is, And listen to this, as apparent gold is tried in the fire and manifested whether it be true gold or not. Trials are the necessary refinement when we are peeled back to discover who we are ourselves and to be discovered by those around us. So that's the first observation about the pathway to sturdy, reliable faith is that it runs through a trial. And at least in some instances, the trial is absolutely necessary. The second observation I want to make about the pathway here is the posture that the suffering man takes. And this takes us to what is my favorite verse in this psalm. Verse 10 boldly says, 
I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. Here's the man's posture. He is holding on to his faith, albeit it may only be a thread, but he's holding on even though, despite, nevertheless, despite all circumstances, I am choosing today to believe. This is the most important thing that the man could do in a trial. You see, faith is the glue that holds him together. Faith is is the glue that holds the system he lives in together to connect him to hope. Without faith, he would lose hope. Without hope, he would lose his reason for living. So faith, we see, in the posture of walking through a trial is indispensable. And I just love this phrase, I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. And as I studied this psalm this week, I found myself wondering, if I just took this sentence, I believed even though dot, 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 what could I fill in there? What would actually shatter my faith? So that I'd have to change the sentence to, I stopped believing because I was greatly afflicted. That's often how the sentence sounds, isn't it? I stopped believing because God let that happen. This man is saying in the face of that, just the opposite. And I found myself wondering, I wonder, could I say I believed even though I lost my job? I believed even though my child has walked away from the church. God let that happen. I believed even though my friend was killed. I believe even though my body is racked with a disease. I believe even though the relationship won't mend or hasn't yet. I believed even though my legs don't work anymore. And I found it almost frightening to sit there before the Lord and say, what couldn't this sentence handle? What would break it? What would make it too heavy? The truth is, I don't fully know. Only experience reveals to us how strong our faith is. And so you see, what this trial did for this man is in some ways it surprised him. He said, oh my goodness, I looked down into the very bottom and I saw a glimmer of faith. And I never thought I would have held on, but I did. And you see, that will forever change a man or a woman. It will make them very, very sturdy. Now, how, how does his faith hold on? And I think, in a word, what I want to say is it has to do with the work of the Holy Spirit, not just his own strength. And the reason I want to say that, and I'm going to make this point quick, but the reason I'm saying it has to do with the Spirit working in him to uphold his faith is because of how St. Paul quotes this verse in his letter to Corinthians. You don't have to turn there with me. We heard it read, but I want to briefly read this to you. What would make St. Paul quote this verse? Well, if you heard our epistle reading this morning, it's a moment when Paul's writing to the Corinthians about all the things he's been through. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. You see, Paul's saying, I'm in a trial, just like the guy in Psalm 116. 
So now that I'm telling you I'm in the trial, I'm going to quote verse 10 from Psalm 116. I'm going to quote, I believed even though I spoke, I'm greatly afflicted. So in verse 13, Paul says, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, and then he quotes it, I believed and so I spoke. And then he goes on. But I wanted you to notice how he goes about quoting this. He says, since we, early Christians, have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written in Psalm 116, verse 10. That phrase, we have the same spirit of faith. In other words, Paul's saying the reason, the reason why we haven't lost our faith even though we've been shipwrecked and beaten. The reason is because we have the same spirit of faith that the guy in Psalm 116 had. And the fact that Paul says the spirit of faith makes me think that when we're in a trial, the way we ought to posture ourselves is by saying, Lord, by the work of your spirit, please sustain my faith. I'm going to hold on with everything I've got, but by the work of your Holy Spirit, please sustain my faith. And again in Galatians, Paul says one of the fruits of the Spirit is faith. So the Spirit indwelling you, working in you, will lay a groundwork for faith that will keep you in the right posture in a trial like this. Oswald Chambers, in his devotional My utmost for his highest says that when you're going through a trial, a saint of God, as a saint of God, my attitude towards sorrow and difficulty should not be to ask that they be prevented, but to ask that God protect me so that I remain what he created me to be in spite of all my fires and sorrows. In other words, Oswald saying, ask God to preserve me. Preserve the faith in me despite all this. So the first point about the posture the man keeps in the trial is that it's one of faith and faith that has to do with the spirit working in him. The second thing to notice about his posture, and this is very simple, but it is very profound, is that the man prays. He prays a lot. We read... In verse 1 and 2, I love the Lord because he heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. He inclined his ear to me. In other words, he pleaded with God. He didn't stop talking with God during his trial. And I think one of the things that can happen if you're in a trial like this is you can become a bit of a theologian. We're all theologians, meaning we all think about how God works. And we can begin to think about God or talk about God rather than talking to God. So we wonder to ourselves, why would God let this happen? Can I work this out theologically that God would let this happen and still be good? Let me read a book. Let me talk to someone about this. How could God let this happen? Why would God do this? And it's all horizontal. And what the psalmist is saying, at some point, stop talking about God and start crying out to him. And I would say, if you're in a trial, make yourself do this. Make it 50-50. 
The same amount of time you might talk about God or be mad about God to someone, be mad to God, be frustrated to him. It doesn't say he whispered sweet nothings into God's ear. It says he cried to him. He shouted. So the posture is one of faith. And in that faith, it's an interacting with God. Be frustrated at him and with him. Pray and cry to him. That's the posture of the man on this path. He has faith and he doesn't stop talking to God. Now comes our third observation. This is probably the most significant. And that is that along this pathway, he meets the deliverer. He says in verse 8, You delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And he says in verse 2 that the Lord inclined his ear to me. There's two significant things that happen between this man and the deliverer. One, he realized that the, the deliverer actually hears prayers. And two, he realized that the deliverer actually acts in a life and redeems and delivers a person. Now, he might have theoretically known those things before, but only in this trial did they become indispensably necessary. Because at that moment, with the cords of death around him, if God doesn't hear him, and not only hear him, if God doesn't act, he is doomed. So what happens in this space that's utterly unique from other spaces in life is that he has to intimately meet God the Deliverer. It'd be like going to a pool all summer and noticing the lifeguard out of your left eye, but then one day at the end of summer, almost drowning, getting pulled out by the lifeguard who resuscitates you back to life. Now you know that lifeguard's name. Now you are really glad they're there. And now you are really sure they are capable of getting in the pool and hearing your cry and saving you. His faith just got very, very real. And that is the most important thing about this path he's on to sturdy faith. God had to become real to him. The penny had to drop. It had to move from abstract to tactile reality. And that happens for this man, and I think it happens for many of us, only when the water has come up to our neck. And we really are crying out. So God is not absent to this man. God is not far off. God hears him. And God delivers him. Finally, the last observation, and we've circled back to where we began. It's the man's response It's why he has stood up in front of the congregation this day. It's why he is telling this story. This is a very personal song. And his response to what God has done includes things like these statements. He says, I love the Lord. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I will pay 
my vows to the Lord. In other words, he's almost like that situation I mentioned with Fred as a sophomore. If after a season where Fred demonstrated that he could play under pressure and we went into the next season and he stood up in front of the team and he said, I love this team. I'm a team player. And you know what? In the fourth quarter, you can rely on me. And everybody would say, if you saw him play last year, you would know he's the real deal. You see what experience has done for this man? When he stands before the congregation, no one, they would know what he's been through. This is a small community in Palestine. They would have known that the man almost died. And they would have said, boy, when he gets up to talk about his faith, you should listen. Because his faith really matters. His faith was born in the fire. And I wish I was that sturdy. And it's a scary path to getting that way. But I think it's a necessary one. It's the path of refinement. Let me read for you a little blurb from Tim Keller. He says, you will never learn who you are without suffering. Suffering shows you your faults and it humbles you. God hates suffering. And I'm not saying you need to stay in bad situations. But when you find yourself in painful situations, God is not bringing you into conflict with your boss or with your spouse. He's bringing you into conflict with yourself. Just think about that for a moment. It's in those places like this psalmist walkthrough where he says, okay, above all else, I'm going to find out who I really am during this trial. And I'll find out if I really trust God or not. And when we're brought through that, we become very sturdy people. The type of people that others can live upon the type of people that create very big oak trees that give shade, the type of people that that others will run to in a storm because they know you won't topple over. Let me share just a few lessons we can draw away from this. Just three. Three lessons. Number one, trials for the follower of God are never meaningless. They're never meaningless. You do not suffer in vain. A trial or suffering is like a purifying fire that's burning you down to what's truly there. And they are building you into people who live solely upon God and God alone, whose hope is solely in the resurrection of the dead, and therefore you become unshakable. Second, we meet God when we have to wrestle with God and when we have to wrestle with life. It's in those spaces that the deliverer becomes very real to us because we actually need to be delivered. Third, and this is how I would sum up this psalm. If I was writing this psalm in the Bible and had to put a little title above it, this is what it would be. The path to sturdy, reliable, substantive faith runs through the valley. The path to sturdy faith runs through the valley. So don't be afraid 
if you're in the valley. Know God has you on a pathway to becoming a more and more mature and reliable person. So you can feel more steady to yourself and you can be more steady to those around you. I'll close now um, by sharing a phone call I got this week um, from a dear friend from my seminary days. Um, One of my good friends in seminary um, went through a really hard time in our last year of school. His marriage broke and he did everything he possibly could to keep it from happening. And it was, it just was scary. Um, it was scary for the guys around him. It was, it was just really, really, really sad. Um, and he moved back home to where he was from, and he kind of had to hole up for a year. And I had moved to England in that time, so we didn't have a lot of contact. And since I moved back, we've, we've talked a few times, but he called me this week, and he went right into the story. He said, I just want to unpack what life's been like. And he said to me that he had about 8 to 12 months that were really black. And he said, the Bible lost its taste to me. I'd open it and it was, there's just nothing there. And I lost all equilibrium. And he said, I, 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 I began just, just making myself go to church and, and, and making myself pray and read scripture. And he said, slowly, God lifted me up. He lifted me up. And he's now back in seminary. And this is what he said to me that that, that blew me away. He said, Sam, I'm 10 times the man I was before. I am 10 times. And he said, I've got a lot of wounds and I'm very weak, but I am 10 times the man I was before because I know God delivers And he has upheld me and lifted me out of the muck and mire. And I thought, boy, nobody would choose that path. But what it showed me was suffering is never meaningless for the Christian. And whatever else God may be doing in your life, if he's walking you through the valley, you can be sure he's making you into a sturdy, reliable man or woman. And that's something worth growing into. Amen. Yeah.